0: Let us pray. Living God, with joy we celebrate the presence of your risen word. Enliven our hearts by your Holy Spirit so that we may proclaim the good news of eternal and abundant life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Listen for the word of God. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus' dead body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. They were saying to each other, who is going to roll the stone away from the entrance for us? When they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, and it was a very large stone. Going to the tomb, they saw a young man in a white robe seated on the right side, and they were startled. But he said to them, do not be alarmed, for you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look. Here's the place where they laid him. Go and tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Overcome with terror and dread, they fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So friends, Easter begins in the dark. I'm not the first one to say it, nor will I be the last, but this year I suspect it will be said an exponential number of times, especially this morning, because the shadows seem to have won. Believed to be the earliest gospel account, Mark's Easter morning is the most spare among all the gospels. It even ends with a sentence fragment. The Greek actually reads, For they were afraid and... Now, yes, if you open up your Bible, you will see other verses beyond ours, but scholars agree that those are later additions. It's as if the early church couldn't stand the open-endedness and needed a tidier, more resolved end of the story. But Mark's original open-ended ending seems intentional and amazingly well-suited for Easter in 2020. Because, to state the obvious, this Easter is not like all the others. Church buildings, for the most part, are closed and sanctuaries are empty. Brass ensembles are on hold. No lilies surround our beautiful communion table. The parking lots on Deerfield Road are empty, except for maybe a neighborhood child learning to ride her bike. Easter dresses have been swapped out for Easter PJs in some cases, and big family dinners are happening over Zoom or FaceTime rather than squeezed around a single table. Easter this year is not what we have come to expect, but the first one was not what anyone expected either. The disciples had scattered. The women had stayed, though, all along, supporting, providing throughout their travels, watching it all happen, Seeing firsthand sorrow and love flow mingled down on Friday. They watched Joseph of Arimathea place Jesus' body in the tomb and then they left and waited. It was the Sabbath when work stopped, when rest and worship were to be the order of the day. Did they rest? Did they find a way to worship? Or were they too weary, too heartbroken, too sad to do anything? Perhaps they could only count the hours until sunrise on Sunday morning when they could at least do something, could at least mourn him properly and honor him with one last beautiful act of devotion. Most years, it's... Pretty easy to go from the parade and waving palms to eggs and bunnies and lilies and shiny new shoes, at least for most of us. Those years when we have witnessed a death, lost a job, heard a life-changing diagnosis, or had our heart broken into smithereens have been times when the promise of resurrection may have rung a bit hollow. Maybe the good news sounded too good to be true. This year is different, not only because we are worshiping somewhere other than the sanctuary, but because we have all been grieving together. As I mentioned a few weeks back, our grieving is different from that of our neighbors, but we are still grieving at the same time. There was no avoiding Good Friday or Holy Saturday this year. So perhaps we have caught a glimpse, perhaps we can now begin to imagine how the women felt on that first Easter morning, and we are reminded that Easter begins in the dark. Mark wants to make sure that we pay attention to that fact. This is the gospel that cuts to the chase on just about everything, but not here. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they came to the tomb. Now, most English teachers would probably mark off for Mark's redundant language. But I think he wants to underscore and highlight just how gray that morning was. I've been sleeping in a bit, for me, most mornings, until 7 so I've been missing the sunrise lately, but I do remember just how dark it still is when the sun crests the horizon. Everything is in shadows. So I imagine the women fumbling through the wee hours, squinting and blinking to adjust their weary eyes. I hear them speaking in hushed tones as they make their way to buy just the right spices to tend their beloved rabbi's body in just the right way. They do not name their grief at this point. It hangs in the air between them. Instead, they talk about what they can do and worry aloud about what they cannot imagine doing. That stone is immense and immovable. Joseph was able to roll it into place, but they are not sure how they will move it aside. They will need help. But instead of taking a detour or knocking on doors... They head straight to the tomb. They just need to get there to see for themselves. then they will do the next right thing. When they arrive, nothing is as it should be. The stone has been rolled away. The body is not there, and there is a man in white sitting inside the tomb. Mark tells us that they are startled. You think? Another translation tells us they were alarmed. Of course they are. I know where the story is headed, or at least I think I do, so I tend to forget the in-between parts, the moments when everything is not as it should be, the moments when they realize that tending his body, the last thing they had clung to, the last thing they knew to do is no longer an option. And to be honest, these are the moments I'm tempted to brush by because they're too painful and heart-wrenching. There's a happy ending waiting in the wings, after all. But this year, this detail rings more true than it has for me before. I think of all, all those families who have had to watch funerals of loved ones from a safe distance, and communities who have had to put memorial services on hold, as if grief can be scheduled. Yes, this story has a different ending, but the grief the women feel in this moment reminds me of the power in this story, in this whole story. Here I'm reminded of Scripture's ability to name the fullness of life and remind us how every aspect, every moment is sacred. Here I am reminded again how every piece of human existence matters, Because the Easter story is not just about trumpets or tulips or egg hunts or bunnies or even churches packed to the brim with everyone in their Sunday best. It never was. Easter is a story about grief and loss and fear and broken hearts. Yes, it is also a story of resurrection. But as we stand with the bleary-eyed, alarmed women at the tomb, we remember that resurrection does not happen without death and loss. Our losses matter to God. Our grief breaks God's heart, so much so that God sends his only beloved son to be one of us, to walk among us, to endure all that the world can throw at him, to share our grief, to give his life for us, and to save us, to redeem us, to redeem it all. Nothing is lost. Nothing is glossed over. Nothing. And it matters that we know that, especially when it is dark. Easter begins in the dark, after all. But it does not end there. The man in white tells the women that he knows they have come looking for Jesus, the crucified one. The entire story has been building to the cross, and for Mark, Jesus is and will always be the crucified one. But the cross is not the end of the story. Don't be alarmed, he tells them. Don't be afraid, but they are. And that's okay, it seems. He does not shame them or tisk tisk them. He does, he does tell them what their next step should be. Go, tell his disciples, especially Peter, that he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Go and tell and make sure Peter hears you. You may remember the last time we saw Peter, he had just finished shaking his head, adamantly denying that he knew Jesus, that other more notorious Galilean. The last time we saw Peter, he was sobbing upon hearing the cock crow early Friday morning. The man in white says they should make sure Peter hears. To make sure Peter and the others know that they, all of them, including the ones who floundered and fled, are to meet the risen one in Galilee, the place where the story begins. Go and tell. Go home and find him there, not in a castle or a cathedral, but back home, out on the edges of the empire, home in the middle of everyday life and death. this story begins and where it continues, even now. One of the bright spots for me in this past week was watching John Krasinski's YouTube show Some Good News. The second episode caught my attention largely because the entire original cast of Hamilton was promised to show up to sing to a young fan over Zoom. I'm happy to hear good news just about anywhere I can find it these days, so I tuned in, and I confess I sang along here in my living room. But before I got to the big finale, I was struck by something Krasinski said almost in passing. As you may know, this show is his chance to highlight good news he has heard over the course of the week. He celebrated healthcare workers and those who have responded to appeals for personal protective equipment. He celebrated a Pennsylvania company that shifted from making baseball uniforms to masks and gowns for hospitals. He gave a shout out to home-based mask makers and robotics students, creating face shields on 3D printers. After his first episode aired, others tried to mimic the show. And after expressing some mock outrage, Krasinski insisted that he was thrilled that others were inspired to get in on the good news sharing game. Because, he said, I'm only delivering the good news. You are the good news. Now, the writer of Mark is not John Krasinski. And I've never thought of the writer of Mark as a comedian, That said, while Mark's Easter begins in the dark with tears, there is at least a smile, if not a belly laugh, hiding in the end. The women have been sent out, not just with some good news, but the good news. You are the good news. You are the gospel, the man in white seems to say. Go and tell. And Mark tells us that they leave, saying nothing to anyone because they are afraid. But here's the funny part. Clearly, the story does not end with their fear, or else you and I would be doing something else on this warm April morning. Astoundingly, the story gets out. Mark's first hearers know it, and we know it too. The women's fear cannot stop the good news, nor can ours. An odd Easter Sunday when churches do not worship and buildings will not stop it, nor will a global pandemic. The very fact that we are not gathered in that building three miles away is a testimony to the good news being alive and well. We are the body of Christ. We are called and commissioned to embody the good news of hope, faith, and love for neighbors, friends, and strangers. The very love we have come to know in Jesus Christ. It's not that we deserve a gold star or a pat on the back for staying home. It is who we are called to be because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And for Jesus... It is about them, the lost and the last, the most vulnerable and the very least. We are foregoing some of the things we've come to expect on Easter Sunday because we love our neighbors more than we love ourselves or our traditions. Because we recognize that Jesus is not there, contained or quarantined in that sanctuary, or at least he is not only there, he's not here. Or at least he's not only here. He is out there already at home in the world, saving, loving, healing, weeping, challenging, and confronting all that would harm even one of his beloved children and turning the world on its head. He is at bedsides and in overcrowded ERs. He is with hungry school children and the mom who cannot figure out how to pay the rent. He is with runaways who cannot go home and with those who refuse to stay home. He is with the residents of nursing homes and their families and the exhausted staffs trying to keep everyone safe. He is there and here and with you and with me even now. The tomb is empty. He is not there. This is the good news, and we become the good news when we go looking for him, when we find a way to whisper this great, astounding good news, when we find a way to sing it and shout it. Yes, we may be afraid. Yes, things are grim and uncertain and scary. Yes, we will falter and bumble, And struggle at times to see a way forward. Yes, we will rightfully grieve and faithfully lament all that has been lost and all who have been lost. But amidst our grieving, our laments, and our fears, I hope we find a way to laugh with joy at the ridiculous promise that has been fulfilled on this day. Easter begins in the dark, but by the grace of God, it does not end there. In fact, it does not end at all. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.